0: Hi, my name is Danielle Daura. I am co-founder and director of advocacy at Find My Parent. Uh, Currently, we are leading a campaign in Japan to advocate on behalf of 3 million children who have lost access to a parent in Japan. Now is the time for you to stand up for those children. And you can do that by demanding that the Japanese government Reform the single custody law and allow for a system that exists in almost every part of the world and that allows children to continue having access to both parents post divorce. You can do that by signing our petition at change.org and sharing it with any members of your family, friends, community who may be interested or affected by the issue.
1: You can be just like me. You're a double. All you have to do is ask to see your family. You have so much to say.
2: In this episode of Your Double Podcast, we talk to Danielle Daura. She is the co-founder and director of advocacy at Find My Parent. As a mother of two kids, she understands deeply the love that a parent has towards his or her kids. Through her work at Find My Parent, she makes sure that every child around the world have access to both his or her parents. In this episode, we talk a lot about the latest updates from Find My Parent and also discussed about the recent petition from Find My Parent to demand default joint custody in Japan. Now without further ado, let's get into today's episode. First of all, thank you, Danielle, for taking some time today to do this podcast with us. People who listen to Your Double Podcast will probably know that Find My Parent launched a petition last month but we haven't given them a good introduction on what is find my parent is all about i hope this podcast will do that for our audience with that said let's start with a very simple question what is find my parent is all about and how the petition relates to find my parent's goals
0: yeah thank you thank you for having me today uh, my name is Danielle Dower. i'm co-founder and director of advocacy at find my parent um find my parent is a very unique um Organization that seeks to empower children and families uh, to reunite with one another. Uh, basically, we were inspired by a father whose daughter was abducted to Japan. Uh, my co-founder Enrique, he tried all available avenues to reunite with his daughter, and is continuing to try those avenues today, and really had no success at all. Um, you know, on diplomatic avenues, legal, etc. And uh, so we had this amazing idea to create a technology that would actually empower children and families to reunite with each other. And so they don't have to go through all of those other uh, pathways that are not not really working at all. So what we do at Find My Parent is we use the latest AI technology um, to match missing children with their family members. So, that child does not need to know uh, anything actually about their parent because, in reality, many of these children, if it's an international parental abduction, will not maybe know about that parent. Um, But by entering all kinds of information about themselves, including images, et cetera, uh, our technology matches the child to the parent and then they can uh, reunite online. Uh, Recently, uh, in light of the upcoming Olympics happening in Tokyo, we've also launched a a campaign to demand joint custody in Japan uh, because it's really a systematic issue there that children are losing access to a parent on a daily basis, including Japanese parents. And we think this is a completely unacceptable for such a developed country to to treat their children so poorly. Um, And so we're demanding that the world know what's going on and that Japan reform its law to give those children their most basic human right, which is access to both of their parents.
2: Thank you for that awesome explanation for what Find My Parent is all about. With that said, you said that this is a systematic issue. Can you explain a bit what do you mean by that?
0: The issue of child abduction in Japan is an issue that is deeply ingrained within the legal system. It's an issue that Lawyers, judges, um, even potentially NGOs serving women are are encouraging. They are encouraging uh, parents to abduct their children in order to receive custody. Because in Japan, there's no such thing as joint custody. So when a a family, two people decide to divorce, they know that one of those parents is not only going to get single custody of the child, but also get uh, parental responsibility, which means the right to decide where that child goes to school, uh, to make decisions about the child's health, to have access to the child's legal documents, school records. And so when mediation happens, uh, lawyers often will tell the parent, uh, remove the child, abduct the child from the home, because they know that when they go to court, the judge will say, Whoever the child is with gets custody because they use this continuity principle in Japan. So basically, it rewards the abducting parent with custody of the child. And in addition to that, lawyers make a lot of money off of single custody because they will receive up to 30% of child support payments. Uh, obviously, if parents had agreed to raise the child together, co-parenting, there still would be child support, but it would not be as high um, as in cases when there's single custody. So it's a system that's really in- encouraging it at all levels. And the very sad thing is, at the end of the day, it's these children that are paying the heavy price for it.
2: You mentioned that in Japan, the system encourages people to do this at all levels, Can you explain how big the issue is and what do you mean by all levels?
0: Yes, so there are estimates that as many as 200,000 children are separated from a parent every year in Japan. So that is many, many children of two Japanese parents. And since 1992, that is 3 million Japanese children. The reason I mentioned social organizations is that there are... um, There are visitation centers uh, that are often owned by um, ex lawyers or somehow connected to politicians. And this is where uh, a parent can go and visit their child because often the parents are given one one whole hour of visitation per month. Uh, But you should know that if the parent that has custody does not want to allow that parent to see the child, one hour a month, they can refuse and nothing will happen. But if, if that parent who's no longer their child is able to visit the child for one mar- one hour a month, the visitation often takes place in these visit- visitation centers that are run by ex-lawyers, by politicians or people closely connected to politicians. So then there are organizations uh, which are meant to support single mothers. Um, Again, some of these organizations are owned or managed by politicians or people close to politicians. Um, they receive funding uh, by the government um, and are pushed to reach targets. Um, though obviously, we believe that there are there are circumstances at times when when it might be in the child's you know best interest uh, to be only with. With mom, for example, in the vast majority, vast majority of cases, children need to be with both parents. So, but the way the system is built with uh, lawyers making money off of it, with uh, judges ruling that child stays where he or she is, regardless of what's in their best interest, regardless of what's happening in the household, with uh, social organizations that are supposed to be empowering women and supporting women. Basically, being financially encouraged to, you know, hit targets of number of women visiting their shelters, etc. In the end, it creates a system where parental abduction is encouraged. It's rampant, and again, children are paying the heavy. As price someone
2: for it. who hosts a podcast on alienation and abduction, right? One of the things that I do notice people say is that at least those kids have uh, one parent, you know. So. According to you, what are the consequences of someone not having access to one of the parents? How does it affect them in a psychological manner or also even just growing up as a balanced person?
0: I, I believe they are very evident. I, I don't know how much people are putting two and two together, but I can just quote some, some facts for you. Um, Japan, In Japan, the leading cause of death among children is suicide. And very often, uh, the reason the child states or leaves a note uh, saying they took their own life is because of family problems. Um, we also know that 56% of children who live in single-parent households live in poverty. And we know that children who live in single-parent households have a worse academic performance and uh, also worse health outcomes. So basically, you are putting a child in an environment where it was going to be very hard to succeed in life, to thrive, to be mentally stable. And we really wonder what that's going to mean for Japan of the future. It's a country that's already struggling from an aging population, from low birth rates. They need their young people. But if their young people are paralyzed because they grew up with one without a parent, um, that's really going to affect the future of the country.
2: Anybody who listens to this podcast will know that uh, abduction happens everywhere. Alienation happens everywhere. So I'm just curious about why, uh, when it comes to Find My Parent, we are targeting Japan first. What's the reason behind Japan being our primary target
0: here? Well, to be honest... Parental alienation and abduction are happening internationally, but what makes Japan unique is, is the legal framework. They are one of three countries, uh, that includes India, Turkey, and Japan, that do not have joint custody in their legal system. So if you have laws that don't recognize joint custody, then yeah, that's a big starting point. Um, And then it just also worked out that the Olympics are being held in Japan. And we think that is a perfect opportunity to educate the world on what's happening. And after these Olympics um, are over, we, we plan on putting the spotlight on other countries. I mean, we're not focusing solely on Japan, even though a lot of our efforts are there right now. We expect and are here to support families all over the world.
2: Now that we have established that, can you explain a bit about your petition and what are the demands of the petition?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we have a published petition on change.org. We were really inspired by two petitions that happened uh, prior to the Olympics that had some success. And that is the first one is the marriage equality equality petition. uh, And Japan did pass marriage equality law after that petition. And also uh, the petition asking for the resignation of the head of the Japanese Olympics committee after he made some very sexist comments. Again, uh, it was a very grassroots petition and he did step down. So it was successful. So that's that's where we were really inspired to also create a petition. Um, our petition is in, available in multiple languages if you check it out um, because we really want everybody in the world have access to the same amount of information and facts. Um, What we are demanding is that ultimately, Japan update their their laws, their family law, to include joint custody. And what we expect from all international players, including heads of states, diplomats, and even from... um, Private companies, companies that are located in Japan and even around the world, is we expect for them to put the pressure on Japan um, for these heads of states. There are many of their own children who are currently abducted in Japan, you know, and then there's also a moral obligation for these children. And the same goes for companies, especially those located in Japan. Uh, they can't properly run a company if they have a lot of employees that are. You know, missing their children. Um, we we don't believe that just implementing or passing a law is going to be enough. There needs to be proper enforcement. So, like I mentioned earlier, currently parents are supposed to have one hour visitation per month. It's not enforced. If that parent refuses, there are no consequences. So we need there to be repercussions for parents who who refuse to follow that. Um, We do strongly also believe that any claims of domestic violence need to be fully investigated. We are 100% supportive of true victims of domestic violence. But the fact is, in Japan, right now, if a parent, usually a mother, um, implies that her husband was abusing her, or there was domestic violence in the household, uh, there is no investigation in the courts. Her statement is taken, you know, as is, and and they use this against the father. This is not fair to true victims of domestic violence, not fair to the children, and not fair to the father as well. So we believe it's for everybody's, you know, in everybody's interests, including women's interests, to have those claims fully investigated. Those who are found to be guilty need to be persecuted. But, you know, those that are not also need to make sure that they're protected. And most importantly, is it is unacceptable for legal professionals or anybody to be personally, financially benefiting from the child support system and from child abduction. This needs to be eliminated completely. Um, so that is another demand of ours on the... campaign
2: throughout your explanation just now on the demands of the campaign you mentioned a lot of times about how you want domestic violence to be investigated correctly does that mean there's a lot of fake cases in japan is that what we are implying here
0: i don't know if there are any statistics about that but what i do know is that it's never investigated right it's never investigated So, of course, then it becomes an easy thing for people to claim if they think they will get their children. I've heard lots of anecdotal evidence from parents. Um, And I've also heard stories of, of women being coached by their lawyers to claim domestic violence because that will ensure they get single custody. So that's really, I think, where the issue lies is there needs to be a proper investigation, as we have in many other developed countries.
2: When a country changes something massive, such as default sole custody to default joint custody, it is definitely not an easy task. There's a lot of money and time that need to be spent to educate the public, create infrastructure to support the change, and also rectify all the damage and corruption in the system that is already existing because of the previous laws. So I'm just wondering how fine my parent is looking at all these things that need to go along with the changes to default joint custody.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a long-term commitment and we don't expect just a change in law. There's got to be uh, proper capacities and infrastructure put in place to ensure the law is implemented and enforced across all levels. You know, So that is something the Japanese government needs to commit to. And you may know that, for example, uh, just about five or six years ago, the Japanese government ratified the Hague Convention, which is basically an international convention uh, that commits states that have signed it to return abducted children. So it's for international child abductions. So Japan signed it after a lot of international pressure. But the reality is, is very few of those children have ever been returned to the country to their home country where they were abducted from. We don't want that to be the case with the. Joint custody law that it's just put in place and then never properly enforced, um, and that's why we're trying to engage with really all members of society during this campaign. We, like I mentioned earlier, we want private companies to understand the ramifications it has for their their business operations. We want educators to also understand the effect it has on their children, on children, the children they're teaching, even university students. We want communities to understand um, how it's affecting their friends, their family, uh, and their well-being. Because really, everybody has to come together for a change. It is a cultural change as well. It's not just a change in, in the laws.
2: Something that I've been noticing while reading about Japanese people's opinions on joint custody and shared parenting is that they believe that it will disrupt the kids and their ability to grow up in a peaceful environment since the kids have to be moving back and forth between both their parents. What do you think about that?
0: So, obviously, the most ideal situation is two parents, happy, loving, married, raising their children together, but that's not the reality of the world we live in. So, I think for these parents, for these people that have this argument, I say this let's think about the child because I think too often we focus on the parents. Let's think of this young child, and one day, their mother or father disappears. Uh, they lose if they if they come from an international marriage, they can no longer speak that second language with the parent. They may completely forget that language, that culture. That's half of their identity. That's half of who they are, and it is just gone in one day. Uh, maybe that child love had special. Moments, special rituals with that parent, I don't know, playing, reading books before bed, that is taken away. And then beyond the parent is, well, they probably have cousins, aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpa, all of those people they lose in a moment like this. How will their life be? How will they grow up? When they grow up, will they be able to have good relationships with people? Will they be able to trust marriage, trust the opposite sex? If you ask me, I would much rather prefer for a child to go to mom's house one weekend or dad's house the next weekend and be a bit disrupted than have their complete life turned upside down, you know, for no good reason. And if we look in their future, let's say one day this child. Reunites with that parent, maybe when they're 18 or something. That is not a relationship that just can be put together again like a puzzle. I've spoken to left behind parents that reunited with their children, they were 18, 19, 20, and today they don't have a good relationship. We can't just build relationships overnight. Oh, what if that child lives in a foreign country and he or she meets you when they're 18 or 19 and they don't even speak the same language as? as the, the left behind parent, how can that relationship ever be restored? So again, yeah, shared custody is, is not as good as a child living with two parents under one roof for sure. But the reality is, is that single custody, parental abduction, children not having access to, to two parents is just a terrible experience for the child. And it's, it's going to have lifelong on that child.
2: Something else that I've read online is the fact that uh, some Japanese, I noticed this in Twitter, right? Some Japanese have said that it's better for the child to grow up with the mom, mainly because the mom knows how to raise the child way better compared to the dad. So what is FMP's reply for people who have that kind of belief? So
0: I, I would be totally against this idea and this statement. Not only do a like. Each parent contributes in a different way to their child's development. And it doesn't matter whatever gender roles they're taking on. They each contribute to, to building a human being, to to creating a person, to educating and raising that child. If you want to stick to the, to the gender roles, maybe the mother is helping... You know, the child with their schoolwork. I don't know, you know, teaching them how to cook and clean. These are not ideas that I agree with, but if we want to stick to those roles, if these people believe that, well, then a father would be, you know, perhaps teaching that child to, to play sports, um, to be brave, to be courageous. Regardless of those gender roles, each parent has a unique role in developing the child's each parent and each parent's extended family. And so a child that has access to only one parent uh, would not be successful, as successful in life as, as a child that has access to both. Um, and I think we can also talk, touch on the fact that it's, it's actually a single custody is a women's empowerment issue as well, especially in Japan. Um, we cannot have gender equality. We cannot have strong, empowered women if women have to be the sole custodial parent of a child. Just imagine you're a single mother. So now you have one, two, three children to take care of in Japan. You still have to work because you still have to financially provide for these children. Uh, Child care is not cheap and it's, uh, I believe the timing for child care is not at all, you know, aligned with work timing. Uh, Japanese corporate culture can be very competitive. So for a mother to be able to balance her role at home, raising her children alone, uh, or perhaps raising those children with an elderly grandma that may not be able to have all the energy to support her. And to balance her, her success in her career, it's, it's nearly impossible. And so then it's no surprise that these children are more likely to grow up in poverty. And I think that's why Japanese women should also, they should stand up. And they are standing up and saying, we don't want soul custody. Why should they take on the entire responsibility of raising the child? The fathers should play a role. And that role is not just providing child support and money. It's about being there physically, emotionally, mentally for their children. And many of these fathers want to, and I wouldn't be surprised if many of the mothers want it too, but the legal system and the culture is stopping them from following that route.
2: From what you are saying, I believe that many who are listening will be thinking that is a petition enough to fix such a big problem because these problems seem to be quite deep-rooted when it comes to japan right so what do you think the petition is going to do and frankly is a petition enough to fix this problem
0: you know it's hard to know what is actually going to trigger the change and there are a lot of ngos and groups and individuals that have worked for 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 years even decades to push for change in japan um I find my parent, we, we don't really believe there'll be the kind of one thing that triggers a change. So we're trying to do it from various um, paths and perspectives. And that's why we focus on educating uh, people, educating people in, in their local language. So, you know, if you visit our podcast or our Knowledge Hub on our website or our Your Story Initiative you can find parents' stories in Japanese, in English, and even in different languages than those. Um, it's about involving the private sector so for them to understand how it affects their business. Um, and it's about really giving children, children a voice as well. Uh, it's about still using diplomacy, trying to get governments to pressure Japan. Um, and I think the petition is an important role there. And, and I think ultimately it will be also holding governments that refuse to protect their children, holding them accountable for it. And in particular, I'm speaking about the American government. So there are uh, a lot of American children, including uh, children of, of American military members, servicemen who were who or are stationed in Japan, um, and have their children abducted to Japan. The U.S. government has the tools to punish Japan. So through the Goldman Act, uh, the Secretary of State can uh, punish countries who are non-compliant with the Hague Convention. So countries that refuse to return children uh, based on the Hague Convention. Japan is one of those countries always found to be non-compliant. The U.S. government isn't using the tools at their hands to punish Japan, to pressure Japan to actually follow the convention they signed. And really, at the end of the day, it means that the American government is failing its own c- citizens. It's not just the parents, but it's failing their children, the children citizens of their country, not protecting them. doesn't matter if those children are in Japan or they're in the U.S. or whatever country our government has an obligation to protect those children. And and very soon, we'll be working on efforts to hold the government accountable for refusing to to protect those children.
2: If the U.S. government have the tools and the power to do something about this, why are they not doing anything about it?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's about geopolitics, um, about, you know, continuing to have power. Also, having kind of the wrong priorities. What are the priorities? Are they are they always economic priorities? And I think governments, including the US government, that's what it always comes down to. Uh, because I do believe that the US government in particular um, can play a unique role in, in pressuring Japan to change and they're not. And so maybe they fear, you know, financial repercussions or economic, repercussions, et cetera. And it could just be kind of a, a laziness of, of our, our our government to prioritize the rights of their children and these left behind parents.
2: We have mentioned the Hague Convention multiple times throughout these podcasts. And for the interest of the listeners, so that they understand what we are talking about, can you explain what is the Hague Convention all about? And does it supposed to do?
0: So the Hague Convention is an international treaty that basically any country that signs that treaty commits to uh, returning a child that's been abducted. So, for example, the United States and Brazil are both signatories of the Hague Convention. So if a child were to be abducted from Brazil to the U.S., um, a parent then can uh, go through their local authorities, which is usually the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or Department of State. File a Hague application, and um, that child then would be returned to the country it was abducted from. Uh, There are issues with this convention. Uh, One is that not all countries have signed it. So basically, if a child is uh, abducted to a non Hague Convention country, um, then you can't really do much. You you cannot file an application through the Hague Convention. And I've heard stories of parents. taking their children to those countries on purpose, even if they're not national countries to avoid any uh, punishment. And then uh, there's an issue of time. So um, I don't remember the exact figures, but there are countries where it takes hundreds of days, like almost a year to get the child returned. And you can imagine the toll that will have on the child. And then finally you have Japan who's, Signed the Hague Convention not too long ago, but is is non-compliant, which means they're not returning enough children that um, they're being asked to to return through the convention. And the way that Jap- Japan gets away with this is they say that the convention is inconsistent with local laws, which basically means their single custody law, and that's why that we're really targeting that law is. First and foremost, it's going to support the Japanese, the some 200,000 Japanese who have their child abducted every year. This is much more of a Japanese issue than a foreign issue. And then for those small number of uh, foreigners married to Japanese who also have experienced parental abduction, it will also support them in getting in their child's return to them.
2: Something else that you mentioned just now is the Goldman Act. Can you explain a, a little bit about the Goldman Act?
0: The Goldman Act is named after Sean Goldman um, who was abducted to Brazil um, by his Brazilian mother. he was he's an American uh, in in the early 2000s um, and his father was very, very active in in, in getting his son returned to the u s and he ultimately did get his son returned to the US, um, but not after this very dramatic situation in Brazil. Anyways, so he worked very closely with uh, American policymakers, including Chris Smith, uh, to pass this act. And basically, this act states, again, that countries who have signed the Hague Convention, who are non-compliant, who refuse to actually follow, like I have mentioned, who refuse to actually return abducted children, um, that the US can can punish can punish these uh, countries. So they can sanction them in some way. Um, the downside is, is that the US government is, isn't actually doing that. They have, again, the tools to punish these countries and they're not doing it.
2: Thank you for that awesome explanation on the Hague Convention and also the Goldman Act. Now let's go back to the petition. What are the challenges that you guys are currently facing?
0: Yeah. So um we really believe for this campaign that Japanese we want to give Japanese parents a voice. Um, uh, because we often realize that the world doesn't understand how deep-rooted this problem is, how widespread it is, because they often just hear it as a foreign issue. And we really want to bring the light to the fact that it actually affects Japanese. Um so often a reason that Japanese voice isn't heard by the international community, can because of language. Um, so we identified that, and we have uh, native Japanese speakers on our team, so they can interact with those parents and, and get their message uh, to the world in English and all kinds of languages. Uh, but one challenge for us is um, is getting people to to share their story openly. There's still a lot of stigma. Uh, related to parental abduction in Japan, but I would also say around the world, a lot of misconceptions about what parental abduction is and who is at fault, a lot of victim blaming. Uh, So that's a challenge for us. Another challenge is that we strongly believe in also providing the child a platform to speak. Again, we want to bring the focus back to the effect on the child. We don't think that's talked about enough. And obviously, that's also very hard to, to reach these children, um, though we're we're interacting more with psychologists, child psychologists who can give us a better idea of, of how these children are coping uh, or not coping with the situation. And then also reaching out to uh, adults who were abducted as a child. So they can still give us that child's perspective, but we can engage with them. It's easy to to find these people, and then you know they can consent to to sharing their story. So, so those are kind of the two the two biggest challenges that we face.
2: A random tweet that I saw online claimed that Find My Parent is trying to profit or take donations for the petition. Uh, is that true? Is that what's happening?
0: Yeah. So let me first clarify that. Um, find My Parent has never accepted money from the public. Um, we are funding this campaign uh, on our own because okay, so we don't accept, we have not accepted any any funding or donations from the public for the campaign, especially, you know, required any. Um, people might be mistaken um, that change.org is set up and not just for our campaign, for all campaigns uh, in a way that, once you sign a petition, you're asked if you want to donate. So it's never required donate money to promote the petition. Um, so if you decide to do that, that money never comes to Find My Parent. That money actually goes to Change.org, and they use it basically to to advertise the petition uh, via their website and I think email blasts as well. So that again is not at all associated with Find My Parent. We do not receive any of that money. And nobody is ever required to pay them.
2: Something else I saw that I know is a clear misconception, but let's just address it anyway. I saw a tweet saying that Find My Parent is doing this because uh, Find My Parent is politically inclined. Or in other words, uh, you guys are doing this in order to make Japan look bad and support some political party. Is that right?
0: First of all, um, our goal is not To focus only on Japan as an organization, Find My Parent is committed to to creating an impact for all families affected by parental abduction, alienation in the entire world. It happens to be that, yes, my co-founder's daughter is currently abducted to Japan. um, But most importantly is that the Olympics are going on in Japan. And so that we see as the perfect opportunity to bring light to what's, what's actually happening. As I mentioned earlier, uh, when the next sporting event comes up, FIFA 2022, for example, and then the next Olympics after Japan, we will continue to use those opportunities um, as you know a way to to reach the international public, and we'll put the focus probably on the Middle East during FIFA 2022, and then China during the next Olympics. So it's not only on Japan. Um, Moreover, we are not associated with. With any politicians anywhere in the world, any private organizations, uh, the only organizations we are associated with are our partners, which uh, are clearly stated on our website, which are all NGOs that are working on parental alienation, missing children related issues. Um, so yeah, we are, we are not collaborating with politicians. We are not picking on Japan we are standing up for Japanese children and we will continue to stand up for all children around the world.
2: You mentioned just now that the petition is really important during the Olympic season. I can see the the marketing and also the media angle behind it. But what happens after the, the Olympic season is over? What future plans do you guys have when it comes to Find My Parent?
0: Absolutely, yes. So we will continue to focus on improving our technology, Our Artificial intelligence technology, so that children uh, and parents can be reunited with each other, um, and we will be heavily, heavily focusing on on spreading awareness around the world um, on a child's right to both parents as well as our platform, um, and that will potentially be done through an entertainment series where we will we will educate children um, in a very child friendly way on why they have a right to both parents and how they should stand up for their rights. If they're going, their family's going through a divorce, et cetera. And, and how they can reunite with that, with that parent. And we will be doing that in multiple languages um, around the world so that we can really reach a large number of, of, of children. We continue to bring on uh, new partners and our, our really our big goal in having partners for Find My Parent is, is unity, but most importantly, it's being able to provide affected families the services they need that we as an organization don't provide. So most commonly that would be legal services or, or counseling, mental health support. So we continue to bring on vetted uh, legal professionals and counselors that specialize in this type of thing. Um, Onto our website, those so parents and families go to our website to search for information. Um, they, can, they can get the support they need. And we continue to also develop our knowledge hub again as a really holistic resource for anybody interested in learning more about parental alienation or reduction. They can find an array of videos, podcasts, articles, books, et cetera, on the topic to, to educate themselves and to learn tools they can use to prevent and respond to parental alienation and or abduction.
2: Can you explain a bit about the matching tool that you mentioned and when can people expect to use it and when will it be publicly available so that everyone can use it?
0: Yeah, definitely. So if you, you go to our website, um, you can sign up as a user. And basically what you can do is you can add in all kinds of data points about you Your child, your family, and your ex's family, and your ex spouse as well. Um, So, this is all kinds of bio data, you know, date of birth, nationality, where they went to school, all kinds of things. Uh, Many different data points. Um, You can enter it in multiple languages. And you can even, interestingly, add like various data points. So, for example, if you had multiple addresses, associated with you, you had lived in different houses, you can add all those addresses. Um, And then ideally your child would be on the other end, adding that information as well. You can add images. So if your child um, knows nothing about you as a parent, that child would still know about him or herself, as well as the parent that he or she is living with and grandma and their aunts and uncles and grandpa, et cetera. And you would obviously know that information as well. So based on all the information put in by the child and by the left behind parent or family, uh, our search function will basically make a match and show you uh, who is related. Okay. So this person is related to this person. Um. So that's what makes it very unique. Again, you don't have to know that person's name. The child doesn't even know need to know who their parent's name is. Um, so that is how our technology works. Again, obviously, it's very beneficial because it al- it allows uh, children and parents to to find each other, right, and to not have to go through these lengthy bureaucratic processes that governments or um, law enforcement put in place. Um, so it empowers them to do that. Um, and again, it is very useful because you don't have to have all the information. You don't have to have current information. You can put in whatever it is, you know, and the child doing the same thing. Um, you can currently go ahead and sign up on our website and, and put in your information. Of course, we're constantly working to improve our technology um, and we're expecting the latest update to our technology to be done in the coming months. Uh, But you can already go on and enter all of the information about you and your child onto our website.
2: How can our audience or people are listening can help you with the campaign that you're doing with Japan?
0: Yeah, that is a great question. So, If anyone is interested in volunteering or supporting us on this current campaign in Japan, there are various ways that they could support the campaign. Uh, That is through sharing and signing our petition. Um, They could also sign up as a volunteer to support us in designing material, translating material. Again, we have lots of languages involved. Um, gathering stories from left-behind parents or affected communities, um, as well as spreading awareness in those circles. And on our website, uh, there is a volunteer sign-up page for this campaign specifically. Um, But again, our focus is not only on Japan. As an organization, we want to reach all parents, all children around, around the world. And so if a parent is interested, or anybody actually is interested in volunteering or supporting us, uh, there are various avenues that they can do that. Again, they can sign up to be a volunteer. With Find My Parent, support us on our tech side of things, our website, podcast, uh, advocacy, outreach, various things to volunteer for Find My Parent in any form or capacity. And not just specific to the Japan campaign, can just reach out to us at communications at findmyparent.org. How
2: about people who would like to know your latest updates and follow all the efforts that uh, you guys are doing over at Find My Parent?
0: Yeah, so first of all, we have social media channels in accounts in English and in Japanese. Again, our commitment to ensure that people are getting content and knowledge and information in their local language. So we we currently have a Twitter and Instagram uh, in Japanese as well. We share various pieces of information on social media. Of course, we're focusing a lot on the campaign, uh, but we do share stories of people that have been affected. Uh, We share tools that families and parents can use, um, preventive tools or responsive tools to abduction. Um, We often provide uh, statistics and facts about the issue of parental abduction globally to really make sure that everybody's aware of the, how big the issue is. And, and maybe this is a good time to mention for those that don't know is there's always a lot of media attention about stranger danger or children being abducted by a stranger. But in reality, more, at least in the US and in many countries, more children are abducted every year by a family member than by a stranger. So that's what we should be worried about as well. So um, that's what what we use our social media to, to engage with the public and engage with affected people, make sure that their stories are being shared. So absolutely, you should, you should follow our social media. Uh, Currently, we're sharing a lot about Vincent's hunger strike, sharing daily videos of him. This is something that you should be watching and engaging with. And again, if you've been affected and you have a story that you want to share in any format, if you want to do a video, Rin, whatever makes you comfortable, like we're here to share that story and we're here to support you.
2: Thank you, Danielle, for spending your evening with us doing this interview. With that said, if you're listening and you're interested to know more about Find My Parent, just go to findmyparent.org and you'll get all the info from there. If you want to support the petition, just check the show notes and we'll put all the links there. Now, I would like to remind everyone that our goal here is to share knowledge with you guys and show that you are not alone in this. With that said, if you need specific legal advice, please get your own independent advice from a qualified legal practitioner. If you are a minor or if you happen to have difficulty in understanding certain parts within this episode, please approach a responsible adult or someone knowledgeable enough and ask them for clarifications. We have done our best to make sure that it doesn't offend anyone. And if you have further questions or comments regarding Find My Parent or this interview, you can always email me at sk at findmyparent.org. If you're someone who got separated from your own parent and would like to find your parent again, please go to findmyparent.org and fill out your details. With the help of our smart algorithms and matching technology, we hope to help you find your alienated parent again. If you're part of an NGO or even a private company passionate about this topic, please reach out through the contactless page in findmyparent.org and we hope to work together with you. All right, folks. That's it for this episode. Speak to you soon. Take care. Till then.
1: i a